Hello, everybody. We are here for the Ricky B podcast, episode number two, coming to you hot from Austin, Texas. And I am here with my brother, Pete Bennett. He is a personal trainer at Gold's Gym here in Austin, Texas. He moved down here from New Hampshire with me. How long ago now? About a year and a half or so. Uh, almost two years. Almost two years we've been in Austin. Two years in October. It's been a fast two years. Been busy. Yes. Gotten a lot done. So. I'm going to let Pete introduce himself a little bit, talk a little bit about what he does, um, his interests, what got him to this place. So, Pete Bennett, take it away. What's up, everybody? First, I'd like to say what's up to the fam, uh, all brothers and sisters. You know, there's a lot out there. Hopefully, there's a couple of them supporting and listening today. Just want to say what's up, guys. Uh, to those of you who don't know me, my name is Pete Bennett. I moved here to Austin, Texas to become a personal trainer. I am an ISSA certified personal trainer and strength and conditioning specialist. Uh, I've been doing this almost two years now, probably about a year and a half. Uh, got the job just after we moved here. Um, yeah, that's me. Cool, man. So what got you interested in personal training? What brought you to that career path? Well, you know, uh, I always have been very active. I uh, really like playing sports, um, games, running around, hiking in the woods uh, as a kid, all that stuff like that. So uh, as I was getting older, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but took a look at my life and I was working out a lot, like to be in the gym. I liked learning about how to uh, make progress in the gym. So I just decided to take that route and Got a personal trainer certification with a little help from a brother, so that was pretty awesome. And uh, cool brother, here I am now. Cool man. So I've never had a personal trainer myself, and I know that there's a lot of people that may go to the gym or spend time in the gym. They're thinking about getting a personal trainer, and right off the bat, it seems like it's a lot of money to just drop on someone to tell you how to lift weights. So what is the benefit of getting a personal trainer, somebody who's coming to the gym, trying to get into working out or whatever, what, what, what is the selling point on a personal trainer? Because it's quite a bit of money to drop on a personal trainer. So what's the benefit? What do you get out of a personal trainer? Why would you recommend someone getting a personal trainer and working with one? Well, you know, the most important answer to that question would definitely be safety. Um, I think when I first started working out on my own, uh, as a 17-year-old kid, you know, there's a lot of things that I was probably doing that could have hurt me, and I'm lucky that I didn't get hurt. Uh, another another reason is because you see a lot of uh, crazy posture in our world today. <laughs> People slouching, looking at their phones, slouching on their couch, sitting on their butt all day. Uh, this has a, a strange effect on your body. You might not think about it because of the certain moves that you should do every day that you might not, like hinging over to pick something up properly, keeping your back straight. Uh, a lot of people have a hard time doing that because of our daily activities. So I think having a personal trainer can really help you uh, learn how to use movement to your advantage. Getting out of bed in the morning, uh, getting up off the couch should not be painful. It should be seamless and effortless. And I think um, that's something that I've learned being a personal trainer that is so important is just the way that we're moving, not just in the gym, but outside the gym as well. And I think that's a big part of my training is teaching people how to move properly, not just in the gym. That's obviously very important. You have a lot of big weights that could uh, you could really hurt yourself. 
Um, so that's very important. But more important than that is the other 23 hours of the day that we're outside of the gym, uh, bending over to pick things up, walking upstairs, stepping out of the car, stuff like this that you don't think about where you could actually hurt yourself if you do it improperly over and over and over and over and over. The human body is very, um, very good at adapting, and it's going to adapt to do the things that you do regularly very, very efficiently, like sitting down. So you sit down all the time. Your body likes to sit down. It does not like to get up out of the chair. That's when those things become difficult. Um, but, yeah, so I th I'd say the answer to that question is, is mostly safety. Um, it's important. I think it's important for everybody to learn how to uh, move safely in and out of the gym. Cool. Awesome. So would you say that mostly what you do is getting people active from an inactive lifestyle or pe getting people to maybe a position of fitness? That, like say they're already going to the gym a few days a week and they want a personal trainer to kind of get them to the next level. Or do you feel like most of the people that you train are, are just starting out and need to learn the basics? Or, or is it a mixture of both? What do you uh, It's most? definitely a mixture of both. In my experience, though, I've definitely had, um, I mean, from all walks of life, whether it be, uh, whether it be adolescents or s senior citizens or even people our own age, um, you can see those postural deviations, so that becomes a, a big problem. Um, so it is, it is partly teaching people how to move properly, like almost from a beginning standpoint on most occasions, some occasions you, it's, it's pretty easy. Like some people just naturally have, can have the flexibility and can move properly. And that comes from, um, just doing those things over and over and over again properly. And some people just don't get in that habit. Um, but I have definitely had, uh, certain occasions and I still do have occasions, certain clients that. I write programs for regularly. They only come to see me maybe once a week. I just give them a couple pointers, but for the most part, they know what they're doing. So it's just kind of motivating and keep keeping uh, switching things up. So there definitely is a mix of people uh, who are more at a beginning standpoint, just teaching them how to move properly, and then you have your uh, more experienced lifters that you're just kind of helping out here and there. Gotcha. So what would you say the average amount of time that you work with a specific client? So how long would people normally hire you for and how long do they usually keep training for you? Do they usually hire you for a specific reason and once they, once they meet that goal, then they kind of go off and do their own thing? Do you help them consistently through um, the more long-term clients? Uh, do you see a little bit of both? What, tell me a little bit about it. I uh, definitely see both of that as well. I have certain clients now that I've been training over a year, um, and then I have clients that I've been training for just a couple weeks. Um, and I definitely have had, there was a certain instance a couple months back where I met this gentleman, and he was uh, he really needed some help with his lifting program. Um, so I helped write him a program, and he was actually planning to, on moving to Houston the next week. So I wrote a, a easy comprehensive program for him and I sold him three sessions and in three sessions we went over all the different movements that we had to do in the program uh, taught them taught him how to do them properly uh, how to get the most out of them and after those three sessions he was on his way so um, and I've gotten contact with him he I guess he did do the program for a little while but it kind of fell off which wasn't surprising uh, people just 
tend to do that. I mean, yeah. it's understandable. It's understandable. But do you feel I, like the self-discipline is kind of, do you help with that a lot? You feel definitely. like as a personal trainer, it's kind of the accountability is a big part of your job. Definitely. Uh, I see that more with the people that I've been training for the long term. The people that I've been training for over a year, you kind of have to make sure you text them every week and say, hey, get your butt in the gym, you know, try, try to um, motivate them, not, not just in your sessions, but outside of your sessions, because as a personal trainer, you're meeting, meeting someone maybe two hours out of the week. Right. Yeah. So um, with your diet, with inactivity, so many different things that, um, that could mess up your workout program that I'm trying so hard to keep on the right track. Right. So it's, yeah. Accountability. Yeah, accountability. Discipline, for sure. Um, so how have you – let's talk about your certifications a little bit. So you're certified through the International Sports Sciences Association for um, personal training and strength and conditioning. And do you have one, one other certification? Uh, I have a couple of the certifications. I have um, a NASM uh, national – I don't know this one as well, National Association of Sports Medicine. Yeah. And so I have a certification through them for, um, what's it called? It's youth exercise. I think it's just a youth exercise specialist. Okay. And then I have uh, one that I got through Gold's Gym, which is a group exercise. Group exercise and that's the Gold Fit? Yes. Okay. So that's, that's the uh, group exercise program that you work on correct and how long was that program that you went through that was through gold's gym yeah so it was it was like three consecutive eight hour days where it was basically um teaching on top of what we already know see this is this is the big difference between crossfit and gold's fit um because we get a lot of association between the two the certification is very similar to be able to coach both Mm -hmm. so gold's fit is a three-day certification and then CrossFit is also a three-day certification. I'm not sure if it's consecutive the same way. I think it might be um, three weekends in a row or something like that, or maybe a full weekend in a row, wh- whatever that might be. But the difference between the both of them is to get hired at Gold's Gym, you have to have a national certification. So you already have to be a certified personal trainer. You have to have knowledge in anatomy, biomechanics, strength and conditioning, nutrition, all those things that get you hired on Gold's to Gold's Gym as a personal trainer, you have to have the four going to the certification to be able to coach the group exercise. Right. Okay. So those group exercises are 50 minutes, right? Tell, go through a little bit. Are structured and uh, the time and what kind of commitment the people that do that. Just tell me a little bit about that. So Gold's Fit is um, a functional training program. Uh, it is an indiv- individually adapted, coach-led, and community-driven program, which basically means that um, our workouts can be individually adapted for no matter your fitness level. If you're coming in trying to lose weight, gain muscle, strength, whatever it might be, the Gold's Fit program can help you out with that. And also, the second uh, point is coach-led. So we're a coach-led program, which means it's not an instructed program. It's coach-led. The difference between the two is an instructor might be uh, part of a group exercise class up on a stage, you know, with a mic, dancing around, yelling out the exercises, giving you verbal cues, but not really coming around the room and helping people individually. So the the coaches for Gold's Fit are really um, coming around the room, helping you with your form, 
and that's one thing that I really like about it because I can kind of make the class my own and I can um, help people how I think it's best to help them in that specific class. Um, so as, as far as the structure, the structure is always pretty much the same, uh, except for the weekends when the coaches get to let, uh, write the workouts, we switch it up a little bit. Um, but through, through the week, Monday through Friday, uh, we're pretty much doing a warm-up and then a skill and strength section of the workout and then a training portion. So the warm-up, obviously, you can't come into, um, come into a workout and make heavy movements before, before warming up. And the way I like to explain why to my clients is I always like to compare it to silly putty. So you remember Silly Putty? You were playing with that as a kid. Yeah. His mom gives you that little egg filled with that gooey stuff. If you take that egg open and you pull that Silly Putty out and give it one good long stretch really fast, we're going to call that your explosive movement, like a squat or a deadlift or maybe even a sprint or a vertical jump. An explosive movement. Uh, you give that Silly Putty that explosive movement, it snaps, right? You remember that feeling when the Silly Putty snaps? It was mm -hmm. pretty cool. Yeah. But if you take that Silly Putty in your hands and you kind of roll it around and you play with it and need it for a few minutes and then give it that explosive movement, that explosive stretch. It's a little different now. It stretches wide open. That's why I tell people that it's important to warm up. So we always have a warm up in the, in the Goldsfit program. The second section is uh, a skill strength and this is where we work on the fun stuff that we kind of draw people into the program, I like to say, with stuff like handstands or uh, jumping rope, doing double unders with a jump rope or Kipping pull-ups, uh, which can seem kind of uh, counterintuitive to some people because you're not really building a lot of strength with kipping pull-ups, uh, but there's a stepping stone process to, to be able to get it, get those. So you're not just going to take someone who can't do a pull-up and just flail them around on the bar until they can get their chin <laughs> up there. There's a little bit more uh, of a process to that. Um, but yeah, the second second section, the skill strength, is really where we work on. Um, that fun stuff. So, um, really getting strong with working um, on kettlebells, with um, dumbbells, with your body weight. We use bands to help with a lot of body weight movements. And then we have the training portion, which is pretty much the main part of the workout. And this is usually where we have the super intense grinder part of the workout. It's usually something like a like a 20 minute AMRAP or 20 minute uh, EMOM which AMRAP means as many rounds as possible, and EMOM means each minute on the minute, just kind of, um, they're actually CrossFit terms. They took those straight, straight from CrossFit. <laughs> themselves, so. um, I'm not sure if they're like trademarked by CrossFit at all, but CrossFit does use them, so it's very, very similar. Um, and then at the end of the workout, usually if we have time left, if it only took like 50 minutes, we try to make it an hour, so if we have time left, usually we work on uh, mobility, learning how to stretch properly and foam roll, use trigger point um, to loosen up your muscles, or we'll work on um, core development, working on your ab strength, get those speech muscles popping. Awesome. All right, so you compared Gold's Fit a little bit, and you said they use CrossFit words or whatever. So give me the differences between Gold's Fit and CrossFit for somebody who knows nothing about working out. What are the differences? So the biggest difference between CrossFit and Goldsfit is the barbell. So we don't use the barbell in our class. We use more kettlebells and body weight um, and dumbbells to for your resistance training, uh, which can be limiting for uh, super power athletes. So we use certain techniques where we use bands to make the weights heavier. 
um, and give yourself some more resistance. But for CrossFit, the biggest reason why we don't use the barbell is because of how many injuries are associated with it. And just because with an hour and a, with an hour class, it's kind of hard to teach proper form with a barbell with an entire class. And that's why CrossFit, you might see so many injuries and so many people having a bad experience with CrossFit because they don't get as much attention as they need to learn how to do uh, a barbell exercise. It's kind of funny, whenever I was taking my uh, strength and conditioning certification, I was uh, in the weightlifting section going over the uh, powerlifting movements and just going over, say, a power snatch, which is where you take the bar, say it weighs like 200 pounds, and you're like snatching that bar from the ground all the way up overhead, and you're locking both your arms with that bar on your underneath, and then you're standing up. So that's a, that's a power snatch. Just to do a power snatch, it was like two pages of cues, like each little thing that you have to go over before you start the lift. And these are little things that ordinary people never think about like retracting your shoulder blades. Most, most people don't even know what that means. Retracting your shoulder blades means pulling them back and kind of puffing your chest up. Something as simple as that that you don't think about when you're doing the lift and there's 20 to 30 of those cues that you have to go over. Imagine trying to coach 20 people in a class that all have to go over those cues. I mean, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And that's why you see so many injuries with CrossFit. So we basically took the barbell out of the class took the injury out of classes. That's one thing. I, I never really did a lot of CrossFit, never really went to a CrossFit gym because that's what I understood. It's just uh, doing those Olympic exercises in quick succession without rest in between and then like upping the weight. It's definitely quantity over quality with right. CrossFit. You just do it a bunch of times. Who cares if you do it? Right. Yeah. So have you gotten people through the gym? Have you potentially trained anybody? know anybody anything that you can talk to us about about people that have been hurt through crossfit um that you know of or is it just something that it it seems like it would be dangerous just considering what you're doing i mean i did stuff like that in the army uh definitely saw people get hurt doing stuff like that mm -hmm. going too crazy not knowing what they're doing um but how about you? Do you know any stories specifically? Can you talk to us a little bit about like specifically why it's it could be dangerous for somebody or anything that you've experienced? So I don't know anybody. I don't think I know anybody specifically that has had uh, injury from CrossFit, but I certainly met a lot of people with injuries. Um, I think maybe the fact that I haven't met anyone that has done CrossFit and done injuries, had injuries, is maybe because I just haven't met them. I don't know. I feel like I don't know many people that do CrossFit, but I know a lot of people at the gym, and I know something is something super common. Injury is like a like a rotator cuff or or knee injuries. You know, tearing an ACL. I mean, this stuff doesn't necessarily have to happen with the barbell. I mean, you could have the more like low key injuries that aren't going to really make you hospitalized, but you might be hurt for a week or two, you know, like jumping onto a box inefficiently and scraping your shin. And those orthopedics um, injuries are really hard to recover from. And especially if you're an active person, it's hard to give it enough rest to get the recovery time that you need. Correct. And that to me, I think, especially in the military, it was just, you get hurt doing this exercise 
and then you're out of work or you're dealing with this orthopedic cert- like injury for the rest of your life and you know you have all these problems with your body now because of the way that you were working out to me it was more about you want to be working in an efficient way you want to be working hard but you want to work in a way that's the safest for your body and putting like the lowest amount of potential pressure mm-hmm. on things that you need to work long term you know there's no there's right. no point in destroying it while you're in you're 25 trying to do like you know snatch 200 yeah. pounds over your head yeah <laughs> exactly and if it's not necessary if it's not necessary for what you're trying to accomplish but i mean i always felt like i got enough cardio in the military through running and all that stuff and then i would weight lift on my own and it was more just strength oriented because that's just what i wasn't doing while i was in the military there was no point in doing like crossfit and putting working more on my cardio and putting all that strain on right. my body but there are a lot of guys that were in my unit and um, guys that I knew that were really big into CrossFit. It was just never something that I really got into necessarily. Um, but yeah. Yeah, and the biggest thing you'll see with the injuries in CrossFit is not usually uh, a lack of strength, but it's more of a lack of flexibility. And it's really going to vary. Like I've seen a lot of um, – like YouTube uh, channels or Facebook pages that put out a lot of quality information, like really good uh, trigger point release techniques, foam rolling techniques. What are a few, for example? Can you think of any? So there's one on Facebook that I really like called Testosterone Nation. Yeah, Testonation is awesome. They post a lot of really informative material. And the the coach that I'm forgetting – uh, I'm forgetting his name. I could probably look it up here. Uh, but he's he's on Testosterone Nation all the time. He's a CrossFit coach, but he's also he also has a PhD mm-hmm. uh, in exercise science. So he's very, very knowledgeable. So he posts a lot of comprehensive videos on stretching and foam rolling and trigger point techniques. Also, uh, I mean, not only flexibility, but things like shoulder stability or hip stability. Um, a lot of things that go get overlooked, and he's going over that stuff in great detail, and it it really puts on YouTube. Yeah, it's on. Uh, I'm pretty sure he has a YouTube cha- uh, channel. I'll look it up here in a second. Um, it's a great resource, and it's a great way to learn everything. And it's good to look through form and all that stuff on YouTube before you try it, because there's so many good. Uh, podcasts and people that are doing videos on YouTube, that's a great resource. There's a lot of good ones, but there's, but there's also a lot of fitness myths out there too, so yeah. you have to really be careful. I think it's really good to... Um, you just have to be passionate about it and really put time and effort into your own well-being. You know, you have to focus on uh, and do the research yourself. Okay, so his name is Dr. John Rusin, Russin, R-U-S-I-N. He's on Testosterone Nation. You can find him pretty easily at the Facebook page. Uh, but he has really good stuff. Um, so I think, yeah, we're talking about like where you're getting your information from. And I think it's really important to um, to know where your information is coming from, not only if it's your personal trainer or if it's your CrossFit coach, but maybe your YouTube channel that you're watching or your Facebook page, whatever it might be. You kind of have to have that knowledge yourself before you can put other knowledge on top of it because 
it's good to know the basics. Like if someone's showing showing you a rotator cuff exercise and telling you, and I've seen this, they're telling you it, it trains your anterior deltoid, which is on the complete opposite part of the shoulder. Like you have to know your anatomy enough to be like, well, this guy's kind of full of crap if he's telling me that, you know, like what else is he going to tell me if he doesn't, if he doesn't know his stuff, then how can I trust him? Right. You know, so you have to, you have to know your stuff well enough to know if other people know their stuff. Right. You know? So then you can go search information and it's a little easier then to find if this guy's kind of full of crap or if, if, if he knows what he's talking about. And I found that guy, Dr. John Russin or Russin, however you pronounce it, on testosterone nation. I think his stuff's really good. And he's a, he's a CrossFit coach. He does CrossFit exercises, but he also does his like lifting exercises in the gym because you can't, I mean, you can't just do explosive movements with a barbell. You need to get your isolation exercises, otherwise you're going to have uh, instability issues, and that's where you have injuries, imbalance injuries, uh, stuff like that. So know where you're getting your information, people. Right. Very important. For sure. Do a lot of research before you buy the myths. And going into that, I want to talk a little bit about dieting because one of the – Diet myths. Yeah. Well, let's talk about – uh first what in your opinion is the worst diet that you've ever heard of or like seen someone try or something give us some reasons why it's a terrible diet and then if there's like a diet plan or diet mentality that you would endorse like you would put the peter b stamp of approval on let me know what that is but let's talk about first what is what is a terrible diet What's a terrible diet? That's a good question. And there's a lot of terrible diets out there. There's a a lot of really bad ones. Um, I don't know about a worse diet because I I guess the idea of a diet is to change what you're eating every day for an end result. So most people, they're trying to lose weight, right? Right. So you're trying to lose weight. You got to eat less calories, okay, people? You just got to eat less food. A good way to do that is eating natural food. I always say if you can hunt it or if you can grow it, it's good for you, okay? Anything else, if it's made in a box, like if, if you're opening a package to eat something, chances are pretty good that it's not as good as something that could go in your Okay, so that's the first thing, all right? If you can hunt it or grow it. But as far as the worst diet, I, th- I like to think about the ketogenic diet. And this is a diet that I learned about in my original certification. And this is, this is another reason why you have to kind of know your stuff and like know where you're getting inf- your information because that certification that I had was a good 15 years and old. This is the diet that Joe Rogan is on too, the keto- ketogenic diet. The ketogenic diet. Yeah. It's, it's a dumb diet, guys. And if you like bacon and steak, uh, it's a good diet for you. But if you want to see progress, I would recommend not. So the ketogenic diet is basically this. So you have your macronutrients, right? You have your carbohydrates, your proteins, and your fats. Okay, these come from a variety of different foods, uh, but it can pretty much be broken down to certain ones. So proteins is mostly meats for us meat eaters. If you're vegan, you're getting most of your protein through nuts and seeds, beans and rice, stuff like that. So it's a little bit different. But if you're eating um, a more American diet, you're eating a lot of bacon and steak and chicken and burgers and all that stuff. That's your protein. Uh, certain types of protein have more or less fat in them. So like bacon has more fat than something like chicken. That makes sense, right? Um, so 
the ketogenic diet is basically all protein and fats and very low carbohydrates. So you're eating 20 grams of carbs in a day. And for those of you people who don't know 20 grams, what 20 grams of carbs look like, it's like a couple slices of bread or like a plate of broccoli, you know? It's, it's like nothing. And then the rest of the day you're eating uh, – so protein and fats. So you can get fats from um, – What if – okay, so the thing about – Joe Rogan is on this ketogenic diet and it's like all the rage – for guys that are like muscle dudes like right. into fitness and all that stuff right. because you're a guy you want to eat a lot of meat you know and bacon yeah that sounds like a really right. great diet you want right. to do that but and do you think it's any better because they eat they eat a lot of wild game like joe rogan recently has been really big into getting elk meat and you've watched that show and all those guys, they're getting into eating wild game. Do you think it's any better for you if you're eating, like, fresh-caught salmon or elk or something So like I'll that? tell you the reason why I don't think the ketogenic as a whole is good for you. And that the, the reason is basically this. You don't get enough fiber. If you're eating, say you're a 200-pound male and you're trying to gain muscle, you need a lot of calories, a lot of calories to gain weight. If you're getting all of those calories from proteins and fats – and which assuming a lot of that fat is coming from those proteins because of your things like your steak and your bacon, uh, your heavy red meats like elk, that's got a lot of fat in it. Yeah. So you're not, you're really not going to be eating a lot of plant-based foods that have fat in them. And that's where you're getting your fibers, those plant-based foods, thing like things like vegetables, like potatoes, um, and your green vegetables, these and fruits, these things all give you dietary fiber, which helps you poop. And if, you, if you're not getting that, I feel bad for you, man. That's why that's why I don't I don't support the ketogenic diet. I prefer to get a lot of plant based foods in my diet, so you know the digestive system works. Properly. So it's not necessarily because it doesn't work; it's just because it's not good because it's not good for your body. In theory, do you think it does the job that it's intended to do? So. The job that a ketogenic scientifically is intended to do is to drop body fat that if you are like if you're already like 15 or like 12 percent body fat and you want to get under 10 percent the ketogenic diet would probably not be a horrible idea if you're taking a, a fiber supplement for maybe you did this diet for like eight weeks or something like that mm. but for people that are doing this like day in and day out like just, Long term, I'm sure it takes a toll on your digestive system, um, and that just can't be comfortable. So I feel bad for Joe Rogan, poor guy. Poor Joe, he's so terribly misinformed in so many ways. That's all right. We're gonna get him there. Um, yeah, that's good. That's really good. The ketogenic diet is something I've heard a lot about recently. So that's a good and, insight. And the that. idea behind it, the reason why it's effective to drop that, that last little bit of body fat is because your body uses carbohydrates and fats as energy, right? So it uses carbohydrates right now and it uses fat later. So this means that if you wake up in the morning, I like to use this uh, idea because in the morning when you wake up, you got to keep in mind that your body is fasted. That means that you have no calories in your digestive system and your body is working exclusively off stored body fat for energy. I call this your fat bur burning mode. So when you wake up in the morning, your body's still in that fat burning mode and for about that first hour or even a couple hours if you're going to go and do some intermittent fasting. 
which is another diet that is a really good one that y'all should look into. But anyway, that was the one that my buddy Justin Kugel. I would be willing to talk about that a little bit. My buddy Justin Kugel did that in um, Egypt when we first got there. He was probably about 30, 40 pounds overweight, and he dropped it super quick with intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. Fasting, only eating eight hours out of the day. Right. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that one? So the the big this is another big myth with when it comes to diets is the meal frequency. So. A lot of personal trainers like to tell you that if you eat five times a day or six times a day, that it's going to increase your metabolism and it's going to, and it's going to help you um, burn more fat throughout the day and build more muscle. You know, the, you know the pitch. Yep. So, in science has proven this, and I believe that the calories that you're eating in small increments of the day, if you're eating it five or six times a day, does not matter as much as the net value of the amount of calories that you're eating throughout the day. So at the end of the day, if you eat three times and you eat 2,100 calories, or at the end of the day and you eat five times and you get uh, 2,100 calories, that's still 2,100 calories. And I don't think your body works like that effectively in such a short amount of time in those little increments to make those development changes in your body. It's more of a. It's more of like the big picture. What are you doing in a week? What are you doing in a month? Rather than what are you doing today? Eating right. five times or three times or whatever it might be. So, twenty one hundred calories is twenty one hundred calories. And the reason why intermittent fasting can be very valuable to help lose weight for uh, most Americans, and especially people who work out, is is that your your digestive system is really getting a break every single day. Well. Depending on when you want to do it. Some people do intermittent fasting, say, like just on the weekends or like just on Mondays and Tuesdays or, or whatever it might be. And then you have other people, uh, like a good friend of mine who's a personal trainer in, in Denver, Dosh Sims. I used to work out with him. Um, he intermittent fasts. Sometimes he'll fast for a good day or two, like 24 hours. And this is for more people that are more experienced with it. But basically when your bu- digestive system is getting that break, obviously where are you getting that energy from? Your body is using your stored body fat which human, th- humans are meant to do this. For, for millions of years, humans have uh, evolved to use their energy very efficiently, like using their fat for energy um, when you don't have any calories. This can allow you to hunt, whether it be um, elk in the northern, northern Americas or whatever, for weeks and weeks or, or days at a time, maybe not weeks, but days at a time uh, without having any food. Um, so I don't think people nowadays could necessarily go days without food, but intermittent fasting is a good way to help your body tune into that fat storage like Mm. we always used to use, um, to kind of get that aesthetic look that we all desire so badly. So a good way to start would be to uh, fast until lunch. And if you can, it would be very beneficial to work out before you eat for your first meal because that really uh, helps your body release a lot of human growth hormone, which is going to help you uh, build more muscle and burn more fat throughout the day. So I've done intermittent fasting. I actually did it for about two months, and I've actually thought about doing it again. It's really nice to not have to make breakfast, but the the challenge with it is that you have to get all your calories in a certain window. So if you don't get enough calories, you're not going to reach your goal. Well, at least that's been the case for me because I'm a hard gainer, which means it's hard to gain muscle or gain weight in general. Uh, through a diet. So with the intermittent fasting diet, um, I just found that I wasn't 
really getting enough calories to gain muscle, which was my goal at the time. So that can be a challenge, but for those of you who are looking to lose weight, super easy. You only have to eat two times, three times. The hard part is going to be in the morning when you're super hungry, and this is only going to last for about the first week of your intermittent fasting. If you take four hours off in the morning and just give your digestive system a break, you can drink things like coffee or tea, which are going to boost your metabolism a little bit more, help you uh, give your body a little bit of energy, or, or things like coconut oil will help your stomach feel a little satiated so you're not quite, quite so uh, painfully hungry. Uh, things like this, but just avoiding calories, avoiding eating food or calories in general um, for the first couple hours. Then hopefully work out, boost your uh, human growth hormone levels, and, and then get your first, first big meal and give your body those nutrients. And at this point, you've been fasted for hopefully about 12 to 16 hours. Your body is really going to use those calories super efficiently. So whenever I was doing the intermittent fasting, I found that that first meal, it would be digested in less than an hour, and I would be ready for another meal. So it's really not hard to eat three times real quick in that eight-hour or six-hour window or whatever yeah. it is every day. It's never a problem getting those calories in because you're so ready for food by mm -hmm. the time it comes around. That's the way my Kugel, right. by the time it was time to eat at lunchtime, it was just like, you know, you're everything. eating everything, yeah, right. especially if you work out. So what would you, what's the ideal time of day, would you say, for some of the workout? What would you recommend someone that's trying to lose weight or um, trying to get in a little better shape? I would say fat burning is probably people's number one concern when they start working out, the beginning stages. Right. It's like burning some fat off and right. like getting your muscles up. So for someone who's trying to lose a little bit of weight, what's the best time of day to work out? What, what do you think? Meaning cardio or weights? Well, or whatever both. you would recommend, um, probably like going to the gym. If you were going to go to the gym during the day, what, what's the time of day that you would recommend to do that? So for anyone who's working a nine to five or just working a, a standard American job, I would, I would recommend to try to work out in the morning. I would, I would recommend that. But you have some people that have different schedules. I mean, for years I worked in the service industry. They didn't go to work until maybe noon or even 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So it's easier to sleep in a little bit, wait till 10 o'clock, and go work out. And that's always been my thing. I like to work out like mid-morning, somewhere around 10 or 11 once I've got um, a meal in me and I got some energy, uh, good to go. But whenever I was intermittent fasting, it was a little, a little bit different because you don't have food in you, so it, it feels a little bit different to work out. Um, you're tuning more into what your body has energy on hand rather than those carbohydrates that you just ate. So for the average American, I would, I would recommend in the morning if you're going to go to the gym. But here's another thing that I'd like to, for listeners to keep in mind. If you're, if you're looking to lose weight, the most valuable time to do cardio of any time is going to be first thing in the morning. We just talked about how your body is completely empty of calories and and while you're sleeping your body is actually still using calories from your from your fat stores to uh, maintain brain function, uh, repair muscle tissue, uh, keep your heart beating and organ function, all that stuff. Your body's still burning calories. So when you wake up, that fat burning mode is I think it's very important to take advantage of that of that time, especially if you're trying to uh, lose a little bit of fat or lose weight in general, 
um, go for a walk or go for a little jog for about 20 30 minutes and it's not going to it's not going to be a miracle but you're definitely going to burn more fat and more body fat by doing that than if you work out right after lunch or you know right or after dinner or whatever it, it might be um, so for the average american i'd recommend if you if you can go to the gym in the morning okay and and intermittent fast get your meal before work or even wait till lunch um, or you could just do your cardio if you want to sleep in a little bit, do 20, 30 minutes of fasted cardio, um, then go to work and maybe go to work out on lunch or wait till after dinner to work out. Everybody's a little bit different, but what I always recommend is that you keep it consistent. Right. So whatever you choose to do, if you choose to do it in the morning, if you choose to do it in the evening, everybody's a little bit different, but whatever you choose, you should stick with it. And the reason why is because if you work out from 6 to 7 one night and then the next morning you work out 6 to 7 a.m., like 12 hours is really not enough recovery time for your muscles um, to have a productive workout that second day in a row. So just keep it consistent. Right. So I know that I would say the average American goes through cycles of wanting to work out, wanting to get better, wanting to like change their body, have a better body. You know, everybody gets ready to have a good beach body, you know, or whatever. Uh, somebody's get, you're getting ready for the summer or something like that. They kind of go through cycles of being excited about working out and then kind of walking away from the gym for a while then working out again. You know what, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Okay. So what would you say the average amount of time is for somebody to be committed, like, and dedicated to the gym before wow. they totally, like, That's a good just question. tank? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if my opinion is professional enough to answer that question, but... From my experience, I've witnessed, I've seen that a lot, and you see it a lot with people. I just people. want your best guess. You see it a lot with people our age, too. Yeah. A lot with people our age. Um, I'd say maybe six to eight months. Six to eight months? Six to eight months. That's still a pretty good That's chunk pretty of time. Good. That's yeah. pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm saying that because of the people that I see that are still in the gym, like yeah. they're my age, you know, that have been going for two years. And that's like average. Average is like six to eight months. Yeah. Right. So what we like low side of the spectrum? Have you ever had anybody a month like or two. yeah, M maybe a month, a month, and then just gone, mm -hmm. done with the gym? Mm -hmm. And I mean, some people overdo it. Some people yeah. try to come into the gym six days a week when they get back to yeah. it. You can't do that. You got to go every other day. That's what I noticed this time around because I kind of stopped going to the gym for about three or four months, maybe a little bit more than that. Same. Because I was it working, happens. I was working at the moving company that I'm working at right now. Moving stuff up and down stairs every day, I figured, you know, I don't really need the gym because I'm staying in shape working every day. I was in school, so I just kind of stopped going to the gym. And then once I had time again to go to the gym, then it wasn't about going to the gym. It was about dealing with the pain. It was about, like, right. now I have to go to the gym and endure, like, two weeks of excruciating pain to get my body back into shape it used to like lifting weights and on one hand like it feels good getting into the gym and right. getting strong again and you know seeing yourself like getting back into shape but it's just that pain threshold like you have to just meet it meet that barrier and you have to understand how your body's going to react to it because i know that's the biggest thing i feel like for people they overdo it and they underestimate how painful of a process right. it's going to be. 
and then you realize right especially with legs work. and then that's uh, why everybody skips legs. nobody does legs yeah Don't well it's hard for me to do legs too because i'm running up and down so you're already sore yeah, yeah. And I don't want to blow my legs out and then have to go and run stairs, you know. But it it definitely is hard, and it's hard to stay on task and um, committed and dedicated and just stay on, make it a habit every day. Right. Once everything starts piling up in your life and keep that a priority, but it's really important because people just don't move in daily life. Right. Normally. You Especially know? now. I mean, there's so many desk jobs out there. Yeah. People just sit on their butts all day. I've been running into and a I lot mean, of people a, that work exhausting. from home. Yeah. That, like, don't even leave, leave their house to work anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, just that, that movement needs to happen. And then the longer you let it go without, like, dealing with it, the longer it compounds mm-hmm. and the bigger of an issue you're then dealing with. You have a country like the United States of America. <laughs> Everybody needs to get in the Just get up off your butt, people. Yeah. Just move around a little bit. Get off the couch. It's not that hard. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because there's so many jobs out there that are so exhausting. And in today's economy, you have to work at least 40 hours before you can make a paycheck that's going to be sustainable whether you have a family or if you're just trying to if you're a single guy like us trying to just save for your future it's hard nowadays and it's tough you got to work a lot and it's mentally exhausting it's physically exhausting and i experienced it too just like everybody else i mean i'm a personal trainer so i'm stuck inside a gym all day long and obviously it's my passion that's what i love doing but if you're in a certain place all day long working with people and you're just mentally and physically exhausted, it's hard to stay and work out at the end of the day. So I definitely know what that feels like. But once you get in there and once you do it, it makes everything better. And well, just keep it consistent. Like you were saying about how our bodies have been used to, we've sustained such high levels of pressure and activity right. for such a long period of time. And our bodies are adapted to do that. And your body has, like, a certain stress threshold that you need in order to survive. That if you aren't, you know, even just working out and staying strong and staying in shape, it takes a certain level of work and sweat and pain every day to maintain that level. Your body needs that certain level of stress. And now I think people just don't recognize how far your body can be pushed. Right. Because you don't bring yourself to that threshold and push beyond it. Right. And and that's one thing that you just have to it helped me a lot working out through the military because you don't have any choice. You're forced to push beyond right. that regardless of your feelings about the situation. And that mentality translates to staying in good shape and controlling your body and forcing yourself even when it's painful, even when you know it's really going to suck sticking it out and knowing what the end result's going to be and knowing that your body can sustain it you know your body's going to adapt you just need to do what you need to do mm. don't work through major injuries right you know right don't do anything crazy like that but work hard and put your body in situations every day where you're testing the limits every day just to get yourself beyond it um and that's i mean that's a huge deal for working out and don't underestimate <clears throat> that pain factor and that first barrier that you're getting through, but build that habit and just know your body's limits. 
I mean, I think it's also important when you're first starting out getting back into the gym not to just, like, completely blow yourself out in, like, two weeks. Correct. Just really just stay consistent, mm-hmm. stay on top of it. I always tell my clients, especially if it's the first first time I meet them and I'm having that orientation session, I sit down and talk to them. And it, the biggest thing that I tell people is whenever you come back into the gym, especially if it's not your first time, if you're coming back into the gym, and I've known a lot of people that have done this and you overdo it because you remember what you used to be able to do when you left the gym. But you don't remember what it was like when you started the last time. Right. So you come into the gym thinking that you can do what you were doing last time. You can go five days a week, two hours each day, and and they're just killing themselves. You know, you get through three or four days and you're like, screw this, I'm out, and never come back. Or wait another six months and then try again. Um, so I think it's important to not overdo it. Uh, seek help from a personal trainer. It's so valuable. And I mean, most personal trainers will give you one free session anyways. So if you're if you're a person that's gonna mentally take down those notes and remember the information that you're being helped with, that could be very valuable. But if you're if you're not, then just forget about it. Like right. If you're not gonna pay attention, then just don't worry about it. Don't waste our time. All right. Well, we have one final question before we sign off. Nice. And it's a very serious question. I'm gonna need you to be honest and very open and frank in this conversation because I want your legitimate opinion. So our final question for this podcast is, if Arnold Schwarzenegger and Chuck Norris got in a fight, who would win? Go. That's Chuck Norris. Yes. It's Chuck Norris. It's Chuck Norris. I I thought it was going to be a little harder than that. I thought maybe you'd try and defend Arnie, but I guess that's it. I mean, well... If the Texas question was Ranger, if the dude. question was slightly different, then it would be a slightly different answer. But that's Chuck Norris. Yeah. Chuck Norris would win in a fight. Who would win in a in a in a I don't know. In a arm rest- wrestling contest. <laughs> arm wrestling. Now that'd be a, that'd be interesting. Now arm wrestling. People think that the strength all comes from the biceps, but it's really not. It's all interior interior rotation of the shoulders. So it's a weird muscle to have really strong. Some guys do, so. I don't know. I've never been good at arm wrestling. There were these, what were they, Nicaraguan guys that were worked in the back of that kitchen that always wanted to arm wrestle. Oh, the first yeah. first restaurant that I worked at here in Austin. These dudes always wanted to arm wrestle, and I was just like, dude, I can't do it. It's, no. I got destroyed every time. Well, the, and they were also doing it on, like, this little wheelie platform. Yeah. It was, like, this tiny little is like meant for dirty dishes yeah. you know a little What's platform this? you put things wheel them back into the kitchen you know we're doing put a towel on it and we're doing arm wrestles good times silly all right well that's the ricky b podcast episode number two my mom wanted me to give a shout out for her uh pampered chef company is on facebook if so you want she hear... has to listen all the way to the end to get yeah. to to hear it yeah. so so i'm gonna know gotcha. i'm gonna know that if she didn't listen to it um but thanks for tuning in that's episode number two thanks a lot to my brother thank for you helping thanks for out having with this one and uh it's nice thanks. talking into a microphone for an hour yeah with you. good times <laughs> all right man thanks a lot thank thanks you. for listening we'll talk to you next time